0: We see it especially in Psalm 121. There's so many scriptures I could choose from. It's really hard to choose one scripture for dependence. But Psalm 121 seems to be a psalm about trusting in God's providential care. It's a Jewish travel psalm, actually. Devout Jews recite portions of this psalm when they leave and enter their homes, even today. Do you need help this morning depending on God? If so, this psalm is for you. It's a good one to memorize and have handy for the journey of life. Because Psalm 121 teaches us three big truths about how dependence on God's help and care for you is so important. And I invite you to follow along in the app to see all the scriptures or in your Bible in front of you or to carry along with us on the screen. Or all three. The first truth is the Creator is your helper. Say that with me. The Creator is your helper. The Creator is your helper. Look at verses 1 through 2. The first verse says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? These are beautiful verses of Scripture that have brought much comfort to God's people over all the years. Maybe this is one of your favorite ones. Is this your favorite Scripture for anybody in here? 121 is your favorite Scripture? Genesis. Oh, Oh, hey, okay. It's also the signature verse of Bersheba Springs Assembly. And whenever you go up to Bersheba, you certainly feel the presence of God in the hills. And these verses tell us several things about God that help and the help that God provides us. First of all, these verses tell us they encourage us to look beyond the mountains to the God who created them. You see, mountains are a symbol of strength, stability. They are great in size, they're long-lasting, they're unchanging, and the creation reflects the Creator. And so the God who made the mountains is even greater in power and strength than the objects we see before us. Some of you have been to other places where you have seen very, very big mountains, like we saw the Grand Tetons out in Wyoming. The Smoky Mountains pale in comparison, and yet the Smoky Mountains are grand in their own way, and the Blue Ridge, they're just older. Mountains have some kind of affinity for us in some way, for many of us. And also, where are the hills? When you are talking about hills, where are they? They're up. You don't look down, look at the hills. Look at the hills, they're amazing. That's not how it works. The hills are upward in direction. And where do we tend to look when we're in trouble? Downward. We look downward. When we're in trouble and we're thinking about things, our faces are downcast. Our focus is on our troubles and all our problems are down here. You ever walked around and you're just like in a fog and you're in a daze because something's going on and you're not looking up, you're just looking down. See. And they just tend to drag us down even further. But this psalm basically says, Don't look down. You're looking in the wrong direction. Amen? That you're looking in the wrong direction. Not to look down, but to look up. Look up. Look up. Look up. Look up. Look up. No, I mean, like, really, look up. Look up. <laughs> it's not rhetorical. I mean, you look up. How many times do you look up when you even come in here? Most of you sit about this level or you're down. Some of you forget the doves up there most of the time because you don't ever look at it. And yet it crowns the entire place, the very top. And right now I can see very well the lights coming through it. It's like the Holy Spirit. We forget the Holy Spirit's even present. We never look up to see the Holy Spirit. We're looking down in our lives. The hills are a reminder that we need to look up. We must lift our eyes to be able to look at a mountain, but don't stop there, because it says, are you looking high enough? Because you must look beyond the mountains to the God who created them, and that God is higher than all. See, the psalmist says. Remember, these psalms were sung by travelers, some on their way to Jerusalem, for the festivals. And it's possible they may have sung this psalm as they were nearing the hills that were surrounding Jerusalem. So not only are they singing it while they're in the, while these hills, in that case, they're not only looking up to mountains for them, but they're also looking up to towards Jerusalem and the temple and the dwelling place of God while they're singing this psalm. Because psalms are songs. So imagine going up to the temple, to worship. Psalm 146, Psalm 46.1 says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. We heard that psalm during the summer in our seven songs. You see, in verse 1, the psalmist asks, where does my help come from? And in verse 2, we get the answer, which is what? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I might have heard that in a song somewhere, too. You see, God not only makes, made the mountains, God made Everything. We don't look to the mountains for our strength, but the mountains get our eyes off of our problems and lift our eyes towards God who can help in our times of need. Sometimes God needs to get our attention and very much a lot of times nature gives us that ability. We seem to like to go away someplace to be able to refocus. Why? Because God seems to be more present there for some reason, even though God is not more present there than somewhere else. But our focus is more there. Jeremiah ten twelve says, God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. Wow. In other words, the maker of heaven and earth has unlimited power and wisdom and understanding. God has all the resources and more to meet your every need. As the song goes, he's got the whole world in his what? In his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And God is your helper. God is not only the creator, but the scriptures teach us that God is involved in every aspect of the creation. And that includes you and me. I mean, what a difference it makes to know the creator of the universe is your helper and your friend. Amen. To know that in your life and to have that presence. As your creator is your is your friend. How big is your problem today? Whatever you've brought in with you or are struggling with? Well, compare it to the maker of heaven and earth. And the ability that God has. I think it's safe to say, whatever your problem is, God has this. God has this. The second truth is this that the God of Israel is your protector. Say that with me. The God of Israel is your protector. The name for God that's used not only in this psalm, but in all 15 of what is called the Psalms of Ascent. That's what this psalm is called. Ascent, you know. It's obvious it obviously goes along with mountains really well. The word that's used here is the Lord. And the Lord is spelled out in capital letters. You ever wonder what that means? There are many words for God in the Bible. Whenever it's spelled out, L-O-R-D, that's not Jesus, as in Lord, that is Yahweh. Yahweh is the word of covenant, his name of covenant. It's a name that speaks of God's covenant relationship with his people, his faithfulness to them. So whenever you see in the Bible, Lord, all capital letters, it's Yahweh, the name that they actually cannot speak. Because you don't speak the name of God. It's too holy for that. And so the key words in these next verses is the word watches. You're going to hear it again and again. The word watches. And it comes from the Hebrew word shamar, which means to watch over, to guard, to protect. The word shows up six times between the verse verse three and verse eight. It's obviously very important. Beginning of looking at verse 3, it says, He will not let your foot slip. So there's some things in this second truth that we can find out. First of all, God protects you from accidents. does not mean accidents like you falling down and breaking your leg. That's not the kind of accidents we're talking about. God does not protect you from accidents like that. God protects you from car accidents sometimes. I don't want to ever get the idea, especially as being a United Methodist, that we do not believe in providence and a full idea of providence in the sense that God controls everything the Presbyterians might, that everything is preordained, predecided. That's not a Methodist belief, folks. That's not the kind of actions we're talking about. You're still going to trip and fall because you're clumsy. That's what's going to happen. It's just going to, you know, it's, God's not going to save you from that. But what it does is when you build your life on God and God's Word, you're on solid ground, you see. Because a lot of times we end up falling and having accidents because we do things that really we shouldn't be doing, and that's why we have accidents. When we climb on that thing that's not steady the way it's supposed to be, like the ladder, when we go on ground, it's obviously not for us to walk on. And there's all kinds of other things. You have a firm foundation for your feet and your life is what this is saying. When you walk with God. Second, God never slumbers or sleeps. We see at the end of the verse, He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now what does slumber mean versus sleep? How do you slumber? Slumber is that way you're probably in here sometimes when you come in after a long night and you're kind of holding it together long to keep your eyes open so I think maybe you're watching and you're actually listening. That's the slumber part where you keep going in and out. And Maybe your snoring finally wakes you up and then you look around like nope, nobody's seen you do that. Sleep is Sleep. Slumber and sleep are different. But even those two, God doesn't even drift off, is what it's saying. That's in contrast to the pagan gods we meet in Scripture. For example, in First King 18, we read about the prophets of Baal trying to reach their God. And when Baal doesn't respond, Elijah teases them. He says, shout louder. Maybe your God can't hear you. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or he's busy, or maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. That's what Elijah says. He's saying if your God is sleeping when you need him, then you don't have much of a God, do you? But that's not our God. Our God's always awake. Our God never falls asleep on the watch. When I was at the end of my uh, senior year in high school... I decided to become a security guard at Hickory Hollow Mall. I did that for the, during the day for about, I don't know, six months maybe. And then I decided as an extreme introvert, and after I watched people get thrown in the hoods of their car with people having shotguns under their seat, that maybe I'd go the night shift where I could just be by myself and take care of things. So I went on the night shift. And Hickory Hollow Mall and probably lots of other places, you have this little round thing And this little round thing has keys, different stations, and you go in and you you do it, so that's why they know that you've gone to every station throughout the entire mall to make sure that you're not just sitting at your desk saying, yep, I checked the whole place out. But there are plenty of times when you get done with that round of stuff where you go back to the office and there's nothing else going on, nobody there, when you drift off until it was time for the next round. And I can remember, you know, trying to stay awake, do my best to stay awake, but you just fall asleep. I fell asleep on the watch. But not God. God never dozes or nods off. God never gets distracted like we do. You can pray and at any time, and God always focuses on you and hears you. That's the kind of God that we have. And because God never slumbers or sleeps, that means you can. Because God is awake, it means you can actually sleep. All of you have problems sleeping and trying to go to bed at night because you worry yourself to death about everything that's going on. That's God's job, not yours. You do nothing by not getting any sleep. Have you gained anything by that that lack of sleep that somehow your problems were immediately solved because you stayed awake and things were different? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. God is on watch so you can sleep. I remember when my daughter couldn't sleep and and I promised to stay by her bedside when she was younger until she fell asleep and you rub her back and you know soothe them and sing the songs and you know finally they drift off cuz they were trustfully fell asleep knowing I was there to watch over her That's how it works Same way with God it doesn't matter what problem you're dealing with in life You can leave it in God's hand and go to sleep at night knowing that God never slumbers or sleeps and God will take care of it and God will take care of you. Amen? Another song, I believe. I might actually be singing it later. So God protects you from accidents. God never slumbers or sleeps. And then third, God is close beside you. Look at verse 5. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The hills may be far away in the distance, but God is close beside you. David wrote in Psalm 16:8, "I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand; I will not be shaken." God told Jacob in Genesis 28 15, I am with you and will watch you over you wherever you go. That means that God accompanies us every step of the way. God is close beside you. God protects you from accidents. God never slumbers nor sleeps. And fourth, God protects you at all times. At all times. Look at verse 6. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. How does the moon harm you? (laughs) It's just like... Well, these verses teach us that God is not only the creator of the world, but the protector of Israel. And God is your and my protector as well. Because, see, the travelers of Jerusalem, they faced all kinds of dangers all along the way. During the day, they faced the danger of the sun and getting sunstroke. And at night, the moon, which was associated with lunacy, which it still is, they had the chance of getting moonstroke. That's what they called it. So, of course, there was also the danger of bandits, wild animals at night. There were dangers both day and night along the roads, wherever they traveled. And the Hebrew language often uses pairs of opposite words to signify totality. What I mean is, in other words, the phrases use the opposites that include both the extremes and everything that's in between. So for all the way from day, all the way into the moon, from sun and moon, everything in between. So when we read this, the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. What this is really saying is that God protects you at all times, both day and night and everywhere in between. Now, for all you worriers out there who, who are held up by anxiety, and Matthew six thirty four says, Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Believe me, it will. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And if you say you believe in Jesus and you trust in God, then these are the words that we're talking about. You see, God is present to help you with every problem in your life, the God of Israel is your protector. So the first truth is the Creator is your helper. The second truth is that the God of Israel is your protector. And finally, the third truth is the Lord will keep you from all harm. Say that with me. The Lord will keep you from all harm. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all harm. (laughs) It's pretty clear, right? He will watch over your life. Verses 1 through 6 were in the present tense, describing what God does for you. Now verses 7 and 8 are given promises for the future, telling us what God will do for us in the future. And in these verses, the psalm moves from giving specific examples to one overriding general principle. The Lord will keep you from all harm. And there are several things that we learn in this third truth. The First of all, that God watches over every aspect of our life. The word harm here is a word that can mean harm or evil. Jesus taught us to pray something familiar in the Lord's Prayer, where we ask our Heavenly Father, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God watches over every aspect of Of your life. God doesn't say you will never have problems, but God promises to be with you in your problems and turn all your problems to the good. We have a whole string of beautiful promises in Romans 8 that assure us that God is directly involved in our lives. And that God is here for you and not against you, including Romans 8 28 that says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Not that all good things happen to us, but God works all things to the good, even the bad things. You have a choice in every circumstance to be bitter or better. To take the problems and find solutions, or to wallow in self-pity and to sit and spin about how woe well you are because these things have happened to you. Why me, oh God? Why not you? What makes you special that because you think you're because you're a Christian that somehow you're going to escape the trials and the tragedies of life? It doesn't work that way. Scripture says the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. There is no difference. That's not the difference. The difference is that we have God to be present with us during those times, who sometimes holds the umbrella over us to divert a little bit of the water away. Once again, these verses do not teach us that you'll never have problems or troubles in your life, but rather that evil will never win out. That evil will never win out in the final end. That nothing can thwart God's purpose for your life. Nothing can separate you from God's love for you in Christ. Amen? Nothing. There's other verses in Romans that go further into that. All the ways that you can't possibly be separated. And the second part of that third truth, God watches over every transition in your life. Look at verse 8. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going. This is one of the verses that devout Jews actually recite when they go into their house and when they leave their house. And they touch this little box that has scripture on their door as they're doing it. You see, it's usually the transitions in life that trip us up, isn't it? It's not when things are just going smooth. Once we're safe in our routines, things usually just go smoothly. We like our routines, we like things to be the same. We like being in that place. But it's in the in-between times, you know, the commute where things happen, the move, the change of jobs, the change of health, the change of relationships. It's in the in-between times that we usually struggle the most. You know, David prayed, to the Lord in Psalm 139, he says, You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Once again, another example of the Hebrew language pairs of opposites to express totality. Your comings and goings, and everything in between, I know. So it's not just the transitions of life that God is present and knows. God watches over all the in-betweens as well. Whether at home or school or work or away, wherever you do, wherever you go, you are safe because God is with you. And then third, God watches over you both now and forevermore. Then we have the wonderful promise at the end of verse 8. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. God's watching over you now. God will continue to watch over all of us forever. Both of those promises are encouraging, amen? That God is with us and present with us through all that we go through, both now and forever. I mean, if you had to choose one or the other, which would you choose? God watching over you now, or God watching over you forevermore. It'd be a tough choice. I need God now, or I'm going to need God later. We make that choice. We don't have to choose. It's true for us as believers in Christ that. God is with us and present. Jesus said in Matthew 28:20 20, at the very end, surely I am with you always till the end of the age. I'll be with you always. Hebrews 13:18 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and what? forever. Forever. And so God's promise to watch over you in Christ is true today, it's true tomorrow, it's true forevermore. Jesse, you want to skip ahead a couple slides because you're... keep going. One more. One more. There we go. So these are the three promises we talked about. The Creator is your Helper. The God of Israel is your protector and the Lord will keep you from all harm. Now, it was very interesting at Feed the Need for me because at Feed the Need it seems like to wrap this whole thing up about grateful, obedience, dependence that all three of those things are present in so many ways. If you really think about it, it's all I was thinking about as I was walking around, was thinking about how all three of these things really intersect, not only for the people who are coming to receive help, but also for us who are serving. So, Jesse and Jesse are going to kind of walk through these slides together. Yep, keep going. There you go. So it's amazing when we gather together and and you see all the volunteers starting to show up and we're all waiting on the truck, which happens to be late this time. And so we're all trying to scurry and get ready to go and we're unloading the truck and there's this flurry of activity outside and people are just trying to get everything done and, you know, as quickly as possible. And every team is there just working on, you know, getting all the stuff out. And there's every age there. This is great. You have from kids all the way up to older adults, everybody in between, all working together and doing things you know, the youth always run the breakfast. And then we also have the kitchen crew. They all have matching aprons that have their things on it, like Biscuit Babe and uh, Abe Froman, the Sausage King, you know, so you got his thing. And uh, so you got all these things going on. And then you got, we had so many scouts come out now and help us. And so the scouts are a good portion of those working outside loading all these cars up. But we had a lot of scouts and from Pack 125, from our Cub Pack, and from 406, our troop and here, and being a part of things. And the favorite the favorite thing this time was cilantro. Who likes cilantro in here? Okay. Well, there are bags of cilantro right off to your left, down the hall. You can get to me. That's a gene in your body that makes it taste like soap. Either you like it or you don't. It's one, it's one way or the other. And so we had this opportunity then, you know, everything unpacked and all the things are going on. And uh, everybody's starting to come through and you begin to hear stories. People are talking and they're wandering through the whole line and doing all these pieces. And you just here as I'm walking through people's stories, their prayers, their things, that sort of thing. Everybody's doing their stuff. you got faithful servants and people being obedient. Susan has her obedience crew and Rick who's uh, there to do whatever Susan asked him to do. That was what he kept saying. I take my orders from Susan, and they sort through stuff. People are praying. I mean, I'll just praying with someone right there and listening to the prayer, and Robert's collecting boxes and getting them all through to get back out there. And, and so stop right there, Jesse. Don't go anywhere. So the bottom right corner, my bottom right, because it's your bottom right too, I guess. In the bottom right corner, there is an African-American woman getting ready to get into a car. So her name is Catherine. Which actually happens to be Hannah's middle name and also my grandmother's first name. And so Catherine comes up to me and I think everybody thought she wanted to get prayer, so they kept trying to send her to me for some reason, I guess, like I you know. I tell everybody all morning, you can pray for people. It's not really hard to pray for someone next to you. So they sent somebody to send her over to me and said, I wasn't coming over here to get prayer. I was coming over here to give prayer. So she actually prayed over me and over all of us for the success of what we do in God, for uh, providence in finding the money we might need to do ministry, for all kinds of things, for being a leader, all these different pieces. And that's what she did. She stood there and prayed with me, and then she just got in her car after getting the food, and she left. She was obviously being obedient to whatever God had spoken to her heart to go and do, even to somebody she didn't even know, to do that. You go ahead, Jesse. And so when I think about the whole, the whole experience of Feed the Need, it's obvious you see the gratefulness for the most part. 99.9% of the time, everybody that comes through to receive is grateful. You occasionally get somebody that comes through and they're not so grateful, and you know, that's when you have to learn your patience. But for the most part, everybody is so grateful on the way out, they're saying, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for helping me. I'm in a rough time right now. They're trying to explain. They're trying to show they're not always like this. All these different kind of things are going on. But they're always grateful. When they go to breakfast and they get their bellies fed, we fed 156 people. Who knows that could be their first meal for a couple of days, or it could be their only meal for that day until they got that food home. For some of those kids, it may be their only meal. We don't know. So, I mean, in, in those moments, in that time, then, you know, the, the, the dependence, we're being obedient by doing what God has called us to do. There's a lot of obedience that happens at feed the need, because a lot of things have to happen all at once, and sometimes, you know, not all of us are the nicest pieces, you know, people in the world because we're just putting out orders about got to get this done, we got to get this done, that sort of thing. But there's a lot of obedience, so it requires a lot of time. People, I watch teams talking to each other, trying to figure out what to do. And they're always so welcoming to one another to figure out, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. No one goes over and says, I will not sort the cilantro no matter what happens in this world. No one says that. I will not sort through those nasty stuff where we have to bag the stuff that sometimes we will not have to go through and pick through to see if this stuff is really good or not or whatever else. No one ever, I've never had anybody that says, I will not do any of these jobs at all. I will do what I want to do. Obedience. That's really our part to play in that. The gratefulness comes for us too in seeing all the stories. I'm going to read one of the stories in a minute. But then, independence the is, a lot of the dependence we don't understand. When these folks come to be able to receive from us, they are dependent upon us helping them. They are here for a reason. There is a reason why they line up at 7.15 in the morning and wait in line to be the first people because they're somehow either afraid that they're going to run out or because they want to, whatever whatever their reasoning is, it's a reasoning of scarcity usually, not abundance. Their dependence is upon other people a lot of times to help them in all kinds of different ways. We had hepatitis A shots here yesterday. People were getting those right and left. I mean, how often do some of those folks ever have a chance to probably get those shots without having to go down someplace or whatever else, but it was right here. Lester, and I don't know, Lester, anybody else walked through to Barbara? You and Barbara both walked through this sanctuary talking to people? Was, and Janice did too? There was a couple of, like, that's what I wanted to share. Why? Y'all are back there and there's so much going on here. Yeah. Yeah. They just jumped right in here and just started walking through this room. We were commenting yesterday there was a different
1: fuel in this
0: place okay. yesterday. It was a, it was okay. a powerful okay. energy that was in okay. the whole building. Gotcha. just the energy that was in here yesterday. Okay, I, got, I got to translate to everybody online now, so, I can't, so, let me, so let me take that and put it online because they can't hear a word you're saying. So now there's an empty space. So David's just talking about the fact is a couple of folks from Aglow, one of our ministries on, on Thursday nights here once a month, was they came here and they served and they came through without even being asked and were helping out as well as Janice and Lester and Barbara and people coming through and just praying with people and sitting with them and talking to them and that might have been more of the ministry than than actually getting the food itself. What I always tell everybody is is that it's not the food what we do here. We are trying to let folks know that they are important and that they matter to God. The food is only one way of doing that. They all get love cards that hopefully they use when they get back and they look at it and whenever something's happening in their life they can you know see that and see the psalm and see that they were created by God and they matter to God. And this is from um, a woman who watches this online, has been here a couple of times but she's been sick for a while and uh, she actually gave Lester this card and uh, Loretta Um, wanted us to share this. So Loretta watches us. Maybe she's watching us today because she can't make it. Her husband's a sundowner and she can't leave him. And uh, this is what she said. I just want to say I really needed this, really needed the food today. But today God came and I saw my friend and I needed spiritual food more than food to eat. God bless you all. And Lester, who is truly a man of God, I love this church and all in it. Our obedience can lead to gratitude and also help them to understand that they can depend on God and depend on their neighbors to gather together. So I hope the three things we've talked about over the last three weeks help us to understand That knowing our God should really be focused around three basic things. Gratitude, a heart of gratitude, a soul of obedience, and a mind of dependence. And I have a few bracelets today for those of you who want to get yours today. But we're going to get some more of these. And uh, they're going to be coming in because I've had a lot of requests for them. And uh, so hopefully this has been something you can take with you uh, from this point forward. Now let's prepare our hearts this morning to think about all these things as we go to the Lord in this meal. There's a great gratitude that we have that God would give His life, send His only Son to be present with us And be willing to sacrifice. That sacrifice came out of a soul of obedience. That he was willing to do exactly what he was called to do, even when it got hard, even when his friends failed him. And we learned then to depend. This bread doesn't fill us up, it's a it's a symbol, it's a remembrance. imagine this is the only piece of bread you had you'd think really differently about what bread looked like in life our dependence is on the spiritual food for most of us our basic needs are, are met but there are many that even the physical food doesn't exist and spiritual food is all they have so this morning we come to receive this spiritual food this reminder, this remembrance of what God has done for us, broken for our sakes. And the symbol of all things, life, blood, given fully for our sakes. The dependence upon this life-saving thing, the blood drive today, you now these pints of blood that will go out from here will go to people who need blood and surgeries and transfusions and all kinds of ways because without blood, none of us can live. And you can only lose so much blood. Christ lost all his blood for us. Gave his life for our sakes. To give us a new life. To be washed whiter than snow. To be made new again. His blood poured out for you. And for me, for the forgiveness of sins. So as Christ's table opened this morning to everyone who comes. All that Christ seeks is for us to earnestly want to turn our life around, to be different. And to come with a heart of gratitude and a soul of obedience and a mind of dependence. That we know our God and want to live for our God. So let's prepare our hearts to receive these things this morning as a remembrance of all Christ has done for us. Let those coming forward to serve come forward as we pray over these elements. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we gather in this place, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us, for being obedient for our sakes, and for allowing us to have someone we can depend on when all else fails us. You're everlasting and you are forever. And Lord, we thank you for your presence with us to remind us of all that you've done for us. Bless this bread and this juice and the power and the presence of your name and in the Holy Spirit. The people of God said together, Amen. So I invite you to come this morning to receive knowing our God and his great forgiveness and his great love. God has the way for us Jesus said I'm the way the truth, the life I know how to take you where you need to go let's be dependent upon God and not all the other things, let us not worry and have anxiety about things that we cannot change allow us to know the gratefulness of God the obedience of God and the dependence of God May we leave this place knowing our God. Amen.
1: May we lean not on our own understanding, but fully depend on God. You're dismissed.